Let's jump right into Genesis chapter 11, if you will. Uh, I'm really debating on how to close it out next week, so a little bit of teaser. I'm such a believer in the language of God and, and the power of language and why God gave human language. We don't even know what language Adam spoke. We just assume if, you know, if you're English, we assume Adam probably spoke English and So there's just a lot of thought that I have that I would love to teach just about language and how it applies today Um, or just finish up with the birth of the nation of Israel and look at Abraham. So those kind of where I'm trying to land the plane next week. We'll kind of fill this out to see where we, how far we get into it tonight and may get enough out there tonight that it teases you just enough to study it, which I think is the best thing anyway, is hopefully things I share Uh, trigger you to study it deeper, and that would be a win all the way around. Let's jump into Genesis chapter 11. It is probably one of the most popular stories in the Christian faith. Uh, Even people who aren't Christians know the story, the Tower of Babel. Let's jump in and read it. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words which I think is interesting. Uh, My opinion, and this is kind of where I wanted to throw a little bit to next week because it's a little too deep to hit surface. My opinion is all human beings spoke God. That's what they started with. They started with God. They spoke His language uh, because if He created them, they definitely didn't speak their own language because He had to chit-chat with them and talk with them. And lead them. So whatever language they started with, we can say, and I would assume start, they started with God. And out of the DNA of God's language came human languages. And out of the human languages came the divisions of nations and the, uh, we'll see as we read this text, the confusion. Because here's my thinking. Anytime you break from the language of God, you get division and confusion in every evil work. So what's going to happen here is my belief at the Tower of Babel is God is going to break humans away from a common language which was His and divide them into their own languages which will gender itself to confusion, lack of understanding because I think, my opinion, I think what God does at Babel is He turns the language of God over to the language of humans And that's where Lucifer jumps in and begins to prefer everything that he can with the nations. So at one time, all the people spoke the same language and used the same words. And as they migrated east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. And they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. And in this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come. Let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. I put the three words there that we're going to really talk about in orange. We're going, to, we're going to look at three things that are key here that will begin to pull out, I believe, what the kingdom of God is all about. A city, a tower, and the sky. One version says, I probably like the other version a little better, because it pulls the word, it's, it's the same kind of thought, but it just feels better to me. It says, into the heavens. 
they were attempting to take this tower up into the heavenly realm. So my belief is they're not just trying to get high like a skyscraper. My belief is they're, and I'll teach this to you tonight, my belief is they're trying to bypass being grounded to the earth so that they can begin to do what Lucifer wanted, which was ascend from heaven to earth. I believe they're trying to, this is a weird word, but the best, they're trying to create a portal from earth to heaven to be able to, I believe, make war with God. This will make us, they say, talking about this tower in this city, this will make us famous. One version says we'll make a name for ourselves. And it will keep us, and then here's a strange thought, because you would ask yourself in the pink, it will keep us from being scattered all over the world. So the thinking would be, who told them that they should be scattered all over the world? So there's something that we can just deduce that somewhere between Genesis 3 or 1 or 2 where God is talking with Adam and Eve and God's communicating with Enoch and God is talking to Noah and God tells Noah's kids to scatter all over the earth, somewhere from those three boys, they had the downloaded information that our job is to multiply and take the earth over but obviously from Noah's boys, they thought, you know what? I guess we liked each other enough that we're all just going to head the same way. And we don't want to be scattered. So what we can deduce about the Tower of Babel, even at its lowest form, is it's, there's a hint of disobedience in it. There's something about that phrase, lest we be scattered across the earth that says they had already set themselves up against what God wanted. And they knew that. So I don't think it's just some Neanderthal group of people here. I think they had a clear cut knowing what to do, but are refusing to do it, and I'll teach you why I think that is. Continue to read. But the Lord came down, which is interesting. We, we have the thought that God is not just up in heaven. God himself is coming back and forth to the earth. We don't really know how. It just reads pretty quickly. The Lord came down. Um, you know, we talked a few months back that God appears in different ways and different forms. So I don't know if he showed up in a cloud, a fire. I don't really know what we would just have to speculate but it says the Lord came down to look at the city and to look at the tower. So there's something now about this group of people that the city and the tower capture God's thinking. And I would say it's either a super impressive city that the God that created the universe would take note of it. So what I would at least like to present you to think is get out of the Neanderthal caveman thinking and think that whatever this people is up to was enough to garner the creator of the world to stop and take note and go, what they're doing is incredible. I need to go check this out. I need to go check the tower. So he says, and this is what's so interesting, look, the people are united and they all speak the same language. Again, I go back to, I, I think somehow they were from Adam to up to this point and through Noah up to this point, they all were sharing a common language. 
And after this says God. Now this is God's own opinion. Nothing they set out to do will be impossible. It tells us again that this caveman, I can't build fire. Uh, I don't even know how to, you know, rub two sticks together. Walking around like little cavemen coming from monkeys. The creator of the world would not say that they could accomplish anything if they were just stupid Neanderthal monkey-like people. Obviously, descending from Noah about 16 or 1800 years later from Adam, God's comment, and this is kind of weird because I think he's commenting on his own creation, like, I did such a good job at Adam that these people united together can accomplish anything. I think God had so put his DNA into humans that once they went awry, remember they go awry from Adam, they go awry from Noah's kids, but in their rebellion, God's still trying to have a relationship with them, but they still carry, real strange, they still carry very much the DNA of their original mom and dad, Adam and Eve. They're not so far removed like we are today. And so God says nothing will be impossible. And then this is interesting. Come, let's confuse the people with different languages. If you study the history of it, this is where all the languages, nations, and people groups of the world come from. You came from one group that popped out of here. And they won't be able to understand each other. And in that way, and then I put it in red because I think this is what God has been after all along. He scattered them all over the world. So let's just stop and ponder a moment before we jump into the thoughts. The issue is there must be something pretty profound that God the Creator told Adam to duplicate, multiply, and fill the earth. He told Noah to multiply and fill the earth. And he comes down and he's so serious about it that when they're not doing it, God just takes up the course himself and spooks them out to go. Get out and go. And forces them to go. As we come to the New Testament, we find the same thing happening in the book of Acts. They're in the upper room. They don't want to scatter to the earth. And so the only way God can get them to scatter, rather than going into an upper room and having a huddle Bible study, in themselves, introverted, God sends persecution, and persecution scatters them across the world. God, Here's the thought. God has always had a very distinct kingdom purpose for the whole world. From the time he made it up until this point, so powerful it is that God says, well, I'm going to have to get them to stop building this city and scatter them around the world. Here we sit in 2022 with the same thing. It's much more comfortable to come to church, sit and listen than it is to go into the world and witness and to be a witness for the kingdom. It's still a challenge to this day. This is why, verse 9, this is why the city was called Babel because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages and then again the same phrase. In this way, he scattered the people to the world. So the account of the Tower of Babel gives us insight into God's purpose with humans. And here they are. 
they'll all be on this same page. What we know is God created them to live in unity. They all had the same language. God wanted humans to live in unity. But by the time we get to Adam and Eve and they have Cain and Abel, we don't have unity. We have disharmony. By the time we get to Lamech, he's murdering people. So, but God's intent was there would be unity. Adam and Eve leave father and mother because out of unity comes uh, you know, multiplication. But unity, what we see from this story, is only possible through language. It's very difficult, and the reason I say language is because it's hard to have unity if you don't understand each other. Carmelo just said hello to me in Spanish today and said, it's so nice to meet you again. Or, and, and I was like, yeah, you're going to have to slow down. I have no clue what you did. I just said gracias, and he just started laughing at me. Obviously, I had no clue what he said. I tried. I got one word. But I think we would all know that that the only way to really be a unified group is we have to speak the same words in the same language. It's the power of how God intended it. Unity of language is what makes all things possible. If you want to ruin a church, just let everybody start speaking a different language. And I'm not talking about English versus Spanish. I'm talking about we begin to speak from a different, a different core of our being. So this is just the core of it. The unity of possibility was to invade the world. The reason God wanted a common language, the reason he wanted a unified people, the reason he wanted it is he wanted to invade the world. He wanted his people to take over the whole world. My opinion to that is, I go back to Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, my opinion of that is, is that was God's original intent with Lucifer, the anointed cherub. I believe God had created the entire world for Lucifer on the earth and Lucifer was to govern and reign everything and Lucifer rebelled and God flooded the earth. And so for God to have humans take over the earth is nothing more than him attempting again that the earth is special to him. So know this, that I know we talk about Mother Earth and climate change and the world's going to be gone in 20 years if we don't do something about it. The world's going nowhere. It is the Lord's footstool. And it will remain. And God will continue to work and do it. And... Uh, my opinion, this is only opinion, I don't have to agree with it. My opinion is the reason it's so important to God for the earth is, is I said it's his footstool, but it's because it's the center of everything in his kingdom. I know now we go to science class and they say the sun is the center of the universe, which is fine. I'm not going to fight that fight. But, but I believe from, from what we study in the Bible... The sun came on day four and the earth is the center of the universe and everything about God revolves around it. Number five, this invasion of the world would show, and this is the reality of what the whole story is about. The reality of the story of the Tower of Babel is even though Adam and Eve sinned and, and rebellion sunk in and we would teach this you know, in Christian 101 faith, is that the devil became the god of the world. Adam sold out the rights, the devil got the rights of the earth, and we kind of teach that in you know, faith 101. But the reason God wanted humans to invade the earth is to show that the earth is his. He owns it. Even though his domain of humans lost the right to it, God still is the creator of it. 
This is Habakkuk 2. I think it's interesting. As we get ready to read this, this is what I'd like you to consider. When we read the scope of the Bible, when we read one story, it's great. But the beauty of the Bible is we get all 66 books. So when somebody's writing the book of Genesis, we, they didn't have all the prophets later. We kind of have the beauty of the prophets back here prophesying. And we can, the way I would teach, you know, to study the Bible is it's just, it's almost like a quilt. It's just all interwoven and threaded together to all pull all the stories together. So here's, here's Habakkuk. What sorrow awaits you who build cities? Well, obviously it's not talking about the Tower of Babylon per se, but... But I think because it's a prophetic insight, not only would it look forward, but it could look backward. He says, when you do it to just gain through murder and corruption, has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised the wealth of the nations? They will turn into ashes. They work so hard, but it's all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, and listen to this, is important, because there's something prophetic still happening. The earth will be filled with the, the one version says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This says with the awareness of his glory. So now we know why God wants humans scattered is he wants his presence, his power, his character, his DNA to be at every location on planet earth. It's intended to be that way. It's intended to be that he wants all of creation aware of who he is. So hence the reason of the scattering. So the possibility of the Lord's glory covering the entire earth, which we know from Adam was God's intent, multiply and replenish the earth. Why? Because I want my glory to cover it. To Noah's kids, multiply and, and travel and scatter to the earth. Why? Because I want my glory to fill it. I want the earth to know and be aware of me. And the way they're going to be aware, here's what's strange, the way they'll be aware of me is through you. Right now, the way the world is going to know God is through your life. There's no other way. I guess there would be, but his plan was that through Nessa, people who are in her 50 feet become aware of his glory. So think for a minute before we dig into this, think for a minute if God wants Adam and Eve to scatter and make the earth aware of the glory of the Lord, what does the enemy do? I'll just start having all of their seed kill each other and be scattered. That's how I'll stop it. In other words, when they scatter, they won't scatter the glory. They'll scatter the rebellion. They'll scatter the murder. So then God comes down at Noah's and wipes everybody out and says, all right, we're going to start over with eight more people. Y'all scatter. What does the enemy do? He comes in. He, one of the kids becomes cursed. And, and now here we find ourselves at Babel with this whole thing. You're not going to be scattered. The goal is popularity. The goal is fame. The goal is to be known. The goal is to get up to heaven. The goal is to make a name for yourself. And so he's working overtime to corrupt it again. Fast forward to now. How does the enemy corrupt the knowledge of the glory of the Lord on planet earth through Christian people? My opinion is it's easy today. He simply distracts us with other things. 
Other things become priority over the kingdom. Other things become priority over the will of God. My needs become my priority. My feelings become my priority. Uh, my family becomes my priority. And so just in those things which seem really good, my needs, my family, my job, provide, all are great and they're noble, but in our nobility we cease to take the glory of the Lord. As I've said before, when we were talking about 50 feet, we go to work, we work next to the same people for 10 years, they don't even know God. And we don't even know if they know God. So I think the devil is pretty good to pack us all into church and we check a church box, but we're not scattering to fill the glory of the Lord. And if we're not careful, our Sunday morning services become modern-day religious Tower of Babels that make us feel better about ourselves and make us feel like we're worshiping and accomplish something but we're not scattering to the earth. And that, that's a sad testament if we really look and ask the hard question, is modern American church nothing more than new Tower of Babels? To where we just come together, we speak the same language, we sing the same songs, we wear the same T-shirts, we put the same bumper stickers, we wear the same bracelets, and, but we don't do anything. We're not winning the lost. And so here it is, the... The Lord's glory was being corrupted. Number one, they wanted fame rather than their own glory. They wanted fame. And we see this today in the modern church. Kids are more impressed with famous kids than famous people, than godly people. They chased fame and their own glory. Number two, they wanted self. They wanted their own city. They don't want to scatter. Think about what Jesus said. You all are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. What the weird thing about it is, he literally comments in such a way, Jesus, you're the light of the world. You don't put it under a bushel. You're a city, strange, on a hill, strange, that cannot be hidden. So even Jesus alludes to, here's what's weird, that the individual life is so powerful that you're like a city in of yourself. That's, that's how powerful your life is. You're not some weak-willed Neanderthal, barely-get-by Christian that doesn't know Bible verses. You have been given the power of God. You have been given His DNA. You have been given His Spirit. So powerful that is of the gifts that He's given you, it's like a city on a hill. I'll teach you this a little deeper in a minute. Number three, they wanted power, so they built their own tower. My belief is that the tower was attempting to, um, gosh, I said it a minute ago. Let me see if I can get the, the words out that would explain it. I don't believe the tower was just some high rise to go, wow, look at this. I believe what they're trying to do, because God would come from heaven to earth and come commune, my belief is what they were trying to do is they were trying to have a way to get back to God. They were attempting in their own works to get back. My belief is, I don't know how far they thought heaven was away, but I know the person that's running the show, Lucifer does, and I believe he was working a real divine, not a divine, but his own plan here. Number four, they wanted to be God. That's the bottom line to it all. They wanted their own city, their own power, their own glory, their own name, and they're all together. So here's what we can say I think's happening. 
I think Lucifer had corralled him. Here's, here's the thing. If God can come down and talk to humans and the serpent could talk to humans, and we know that serpent to have been used by Lucifer, and we'll show this in a minute. And if in Job, Lucifer says of himself, I can come up and down out of heaven and roam the earth and check out what's going on, we also can know that not only does God have the ability to communicate with humans and get things accomplished, so does Lucifer. Lucifer has the ability to go back and forth from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm to keep up with what's going on and just like God can influence the system of the world. We even see it with Jesus when the demons bump into Jesus and go, why did you come to torment me before my time? They're working a plan just like Jesus was working a plan. And, and the weird thing is they're communicating to each other. Demons, which are spirit beings, literally having a conversation with Jesus. That's a strange thought. Well, that just didn't happen. I believe all the way back to the Tower of Babel, what we would know to be demonic influence of the New Testament, I believe Lucifer in some way was influencing this because the Tower of Babel, if you follow history of the Old Testament, Babylon becomes one of the greatest ruling nations over Israel. And that's where Daniel shows up with Nebuchadnezzar, who's basically middle finger to the gods because he takes the temple items and they begin to use them for their own glory. So this is the root of a system that will even show up in the book of Revelation. Babylon, the mother of all harlots. So we, we get all the way to the book of Revelation. We still see this system that, that is being birthed in Genesis 11, this system of, of evil and demonic activity in a seat of Satan that now here in Revelation is still here called the mother of all things perverted. It's still working, so you're getting to see the birth of it. Their own glory, their own city, their self, their power, their glory. The scattering of the people of the earth. So, And then I'll give you how it happened. But I'll give you several things with scripture. My belief, the ones I'm going to give you with scripture, my belief is the reason God scattered them is God's just not up there on an ego trip. My belief is, is that God was... Here's the best way I can put it. I think he's having a war with Satan. I think God, when he does the Tower of Babel, is not just God going to these humans, stupid humans, let me scatter you. I think God is really making a statement of himself to Lucifer. This greatest created being that God had ever created is here in the mix messing with stuff. So you got your number one right-hand fella that you've created from the beginning of time and you created him with supernatural wisdom that is the, the supreme sum of all beauty and knowledge of God and this little being, if we can get out of our head a little pitchfork with horn being that's kind of stupid and real dumb, is so foreign to God's kingdom. This being named Lucifer was the top dog on the rung of everything created except God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, Lucifer. He was right on the cusp of I'm one breath, one step away from being a created being into I'm God. 
So let me throw this to you. Lucifer has never wanted humans. He's wanted to be God. You're just in the way. He has always wanted, before you were even here, he was trying to get it. He got booted, you came along, you're in his way. So now it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Adam, Eve, and under Eve sits Lucifer. What's the first person he tempts? You always tempt uphill. Eve. But I got to get Eve out of the way to get Adam out of the way to be back at the next level of right under God to take God over. I'm go- Here's Lucifer. This is Revelation. I'm going to be God. That's his whole goal. So here we sit. I don't just think that God's like, oh, it's a city. Oh, man. They got, they got a little too big. I need to get rid of them. Like, I don't think God's threatened by that. I think what's going on is God is probably watching Lucifer gather all these people around because they're going to become his army. If these are your people and you want them to scatter, no way, baby. I'm keeping them here with me and we're going we're gonna to do everything totally opposite of what you've ever wanted because I'm going to show you you're not in charge. I'm in charge. I will manipulate them. I will deceive them for their own glory, their own fame. Everything you've given them to do, I will pervert it, and they won't go do what you want them to do. That's my thinking. So my thinking is God doesn't come off the throne because, oh, it's a big city with a lot of people and I need to do something. I think God knows what Lucifer's doing, so in the strangest of way, because Lucifer does not work in the realm of God. He's a created being. Lucifer is... The best way I could put it, he cannot be all places at the same time. He's an angel. He, he's, he's bound to one location. He's not omnipresent. He's not, he can't, he's not all powerful. So how, this is, shows you how awesome God is. How do you just tick the devil off? You just take his plan and you just scatter them all over the place because Lucifer can't go everywhere. He's like, what are you doing with them? Well, am I going to chase this group to the east or this one to the north or this one to the south? And so all of a sudden, Lucifer is... This is my opinion. Lucifer himself is confused because God's wisdom always usurps his wisdom. And so God is like, watch this. I'm going to take that little knucklehead that I made and I'm going to scatter them all over the world because now, here. but, but watch, this battle, I want you to see that the Bible is giving you insight into the battle through stories. So they're scattered everywhere. What does an angel who cannot be everywhere do? According to Job, you just kind of roam around looking for stuff. According to the book of Peter, you just roam around looking for what I can mess up. Right? You just kind of roam. But you're so powerful, you roam up to heaven and check that out. Job 1, what are you doing here? I just came to see what is up. That's weird. I've just been roaming the earth. So it's my belief that once they scattered Lucifer, this is just my object lesson, Lucifer's like... (laughs) 
don't know what to do. But because he's smart and he's probably roaming up to heaven hearing, he's, at least he can probably hear conversations. He kind of knows a little bit. He's not dumb. Here's my thinking. And this is where we would go next week. I think once they're all scattered and Lucifer's like, what do I do? Because he's not omnipresent. And God says to Abraham, you come to me and I'm going to create a nation out of you. And follow me here because all that land right over there, I, God, will give that to you. My belief is Lucifer... Is like, what? So that so I don't need to worry about all these people. This guy is who I gotta worry about. And that land is where so here's what I think. I think everybody that went that way to Canaan, Lucifer takes the hordes of demons and infests all of the land of Canaan. So that by the time Abraham's people get there. The whole place is perverted. Everybody, this is why God says, kill them all. Kill the babies, kill the women, kill the men. It's not because God's ticked at humans. It's because Lucifer heard what was up with Abraham, and here's how smart he is, went ahead of Abraham into the people that were scattered there and began to pervert them into such a place that God said, there's really nothing I can do to save them. we are just got to kill them all. And whatever you do, don't marry them. Don't let your children marry them. Don't take their stuff. Don't take their things. Because if we just look at it, well, now God was thinking about racism and he didn't want his Jewish people to marry non-Jewish people. That's just stupidity. It has nothing to do with races. It has everything to do with two kingdoms that literally are diabolically opposed to each other trying to get the same thing, God and God. And we show up at Babel with the beginnings of it. Uh, uh, That's a lot of chatting there, wasn't it, for this one thought. So God wants to let Satan know at Babel that he's in charge of the earth. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's. Come on, who owns it? This was said before Jesus even came to redeem it. That's a weird thought because what we kind of teach is, well, the devil owns the world and God had to come buy it back. And what this tells me is it's his. Everything in it is his. It may be perverted. It may need to be redeemed. It's still mine. Well, what that tells me is whatever control Lucifer has, he only has through lies and rebellion because it's really God's. Every bird belongs to God. Every well belongs to God. And there's nothing Lucifer can do to stop it. And the world and all its people, which is weird, all its people belong to God. Even the bad ones. All of them belong to him. And then I love this in red because we're taught about the Tower of Babel, right? Oh, he laid. You think, you think your city's good. You think your tower's impressive. God laid the foundation of the earth on the seas and he built it on the ocean depths. 
So let's just don't think that the ocean is just out there floating on some ball in the middle of the world. God literally put the earth on the ocean and founded it, grounded it. So I don't think God's nervous about anything. He's just making a statement. So here's the scattering of the earth. It was number one to remind that he's in charge of the earth. And number two, God's also in charge of people. They may not be his people, but he's in charge of people. They might not belong to him. They might not be his children yet. They might not be his, his people called by his name yet. They may not be Abraham, the Hebrews, the Israelites yet. They may not be Christians yet. But know this, humans belong to God. They're his possession. It's why the devil wants them. It's why in the New Testament we get the term demon what? Possession. You don't own them. I do. Prove it to you. I will possess them. I own these people. They have to obey me. They have to do what I want. This is what I love in the New Testament. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, I need to know your name. <laughs> we are legion because we're so many. And Jesus is like, okay. Please don't make us leave. Let us go to the pigs. Okay, dude, go to the pigs. So who, what does that tell you who's really in charge here? They're begging him to give them permission. But the lie of the enemy is, I'm in charge, I possess you, I can make you sick, I can destroy you. And the reality of that is, nada. He has zero authority, zero possession, zero control over any human on the planet. So the lie is, the devil has them all, but the reality is, they all belong to God. This is why they're called the lost. Here's the scripture. Psalm 75, 4, he said, I warned the proud, stop your boasting. I told the wicked, don't raise your fist. Don't raise your fist in defiance, I, although this is, I think, prophetic. I think it's looking back as well. I think they were shaking their fist at God at Babel, speaking with such arrogance. For no one on earth from the east or the west or even the wilderness should ever raise a defiant fist. Now, I think, although this is way later in Psalms, I think it has some prophetic weirdness to it that I think at the Tower of Babel, they're shaking their fists at God. You want us to scatter? We're not scattering. We're going to make a name for ourselves and a city for ourselves. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I don't think it was just a bunch of people going, oh, we got another floor built today. I think they were just like what's coming. I think they're going to scoff at God, snuff their nose at God, and do whatever they want to do. But this, verse 7, is interesting. It is God alone who judges in the pink. Oh, he's the one that decides who rises and falls. I'll just throw this to you. Don't ever, ever, ever get sidetracked by who's in the White House and what group of people are ruling you. Gas may go up. Gas may go down. Bible, baby formula may be out, baby formula may be here. But know this, God is very much in control of the show. He needs to send you a bird to bring you baby food. He can do it. He is in control of the show. Well, you, the, the lie is to think that, that oh God, the devil, <laughs> which is how the devil would love to, to have you think. But Daniel too, I love this even better. And this is, boy, this really cuts deep into the way we'd think about God's sovereignty. 
God controls the course of world events. I don't even like that. I don't even remotely want to think that right now, with gas, the economy's tanking, interest rates are going up, the stupidity of what we see happening around the globe, I would prefer to think that the devil is in control. And the Bible says, you really think the devil's controlling all this? I'm working a plan bigger because what I'm working is my kingdom. So when God's controlling world events, we see wars and famines and all this stuff that's going on. I'm not saying God's sending it, but I'm saying that God's not up there going, oh, the devil's got famine again. Oh, I've got to stop the famine. Everything happening on the earth is moving the earth to a king that will rule on planet earth. Everything is moving that way. Sometimes, I will give you this, it does feel like we're going backward. And, and quote, Christians are losing, but we're not losing. He removes a king and he sets up other kings. This is just my opinion for those of you that vote. Well, Donald Trump got booted out because they cheated. Okay, great. But what I read here is God is the one that will get Trump in. God is the one that will get Biden in. God is the one that will get Biden out. God is the one who will put Obama in. In the weirdness of ways, he can do it through voting. He can do it through y'all cheating. But just know this. Whatever happens, he's in control. He's not up there going, dear God, I so, I can't say dear God, he's God. Dear me. I just so wanted to keep Trump in. Oh, I just wish he would have stayed. He was more Christian than these other people. I mean, he really wasn't Christian, but he kind of was, but he said he was. I mean, he did do mean stuff, but everybody does mean stuff. Oh, but they cheated on me, and, and he's like, Dad, what's wrong? Ah, I wanted Trump. They got Joe. Like, like God's not up there doing that. I know we do it down here. Uh, that's, that's just a whole other ballgame. Let me leave that alone. I just hope you get the point. <laughs> Still vote, but just know that God's working a kingdom. God's reminder, he wanted to remind Satan, he's also in charge of the heavens. Although Lucifer, in a weird way, has the right to go up to heaven and the right to come down and roam the earth and the right to appear in the courts with the angels and chat with God, God still controls the heavens. We know this to be true when the storms are howling and the Son of the living God stands on the front of a boat. Peace be still! And the entire heavens had to obey Him. So although we can look at that and say the devil may manipulate and use it and use destruction and use Mother Nature, and, but that the bottom line is, this may sound really weird, I think we have authority as well over the heavens. What, what did he say to Elijah? Go, go tell that old fella Ahab, it's not going to rain for, oh, yes, it's due three and a half years. What? You really want to blow your mind tonight. It, it, it just, it's a humbling thing. Read Job 39, 40, and 41, where God just comes to Job and goes, Look, do you even know where I keep all the snow? That is the, I read that and I was like, what? Did I just read that? Did I just read that God has a place where he stores all the snow? 
Like I had to go back. I, I was so shocked. I got every Bible version. Well, they couldn't have meant that. That God, and it, it does. That God is so big that he has all the way I can, this is only my brain trying to get this. He has a big room of snow. And when Nessa says, I just wish it would snow in Georgia, and I say to Nessa, it's not going to snow. It's Georgia, honey. And then the next day, it snows. I don't know. I guess God was like, somebody go to the closet and give Nessa some snow. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how weird that is. Um, it happened last year, remember? I mean, it's just the weirdest thing ever. She goes, I just miss Chicago. I wish God would give me snow. I'm like, honey, quit. We hate snow down here. And then I just felt bad for her and said, God, just give her snow. But what I read in Job is there's like a closet of snow. And God's just like, here, have some snow, Alaska. Here. So anytime I see on the news that there was a weird freak snowstorm in the middle of a desert, I'm like, God's showing out. <laughs> right? I don't know, but, but it, just know that. Here's the scripture. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? My belief is the Tower of Babel is they were going to say, we do. We're going to ascend the mountain of God. We're going to walk among the fiery stones of heaven and we're going to stand in the holy place where God stands. I think my opinion is, though that's a prophetic psalm, I, I think that that was probably going on at the Tower of Babel. They were trying to bust through heaven to get up into the presence of God. Job 1, I've commented on this, I won't bear it long, but it is the scripture that I've been referring to. One day the members of the heavenly court, we assume those would be spirit beings, angels, and spirit beings. They came to present themselves to the Lord, which is an interesting study if you ever want to study it. What were they chatting about? Like God has staff meetings, right? I mean, that's the way I read that. Like it's Monday and God's like, hey, give me all the angels. Hey, and just millions of them. I just start, ran around the throne and dad, the father's like, all right. All right, Randy. Randy, Nessa's going to have a baby. Mark has been praying for this baby and he's been asking me to send my angels. Randy, you and you and Bub, go take care of Nessa. Like, yeah, we got this. Like really, like God's up there meeting with them. So what I can assume about God is nothing is haphazard. But not only is it so powerful, the accuser Satan comes along, which is weird. It's like the dude that got fired and still comes to work. It's like, what, what are you? I thought they let you go. I thought they sent you home with no pay. Well, I just miss y'all. Right? I mean, think about that. Don't you know the angels that didn't go with him are like, why are you here? I think he's there to get a battle plan. I think he's there to figure out what's going on because I hate you and I'm still, here's the thinking, you know, Jesus, boom, kick you out of heaven. I saw Satan fall and then Satan's just like, no, oh, I lost, I'm done. I don't think it was that way. I think as he fell and I think, well, I'll still get there. I'll just keep watching and working. So he says, where have you come? And he says, well, I, I went and I've just been patrolling the earth. I would, wish I would have highlighted the last phrase. I've just been watching everything going on. Now here's what we know the difference between God and the devil. God doesn't watch what goes on. God does things about it. He's in control of it. 
But because God is in control of it and I've got a watcher watching it, you better know the one watching what's being done is going to try to pervert it. So it's why when God comes down and Moses is born and God's going to bring a great deliverer, you better know that, that I believe that Lucifer's down there downloading to Pharaoh, you need to kill him, you need to kill the kids, there's a redeemer coming. I, I heard through the grapevine and you know Pharaoh's like, kill all the males. Because I don't think they're just having random thoughts. I think they're all getting downloads from the spirit world of dreams and thoughts and voices to do things because there's this holy war going on throughout the Bible. Here's another verse. Jeremiah, can any of the worthless foreign gods send us rain? No, only God can do that. Only you can do such things. I love it, this in the blue. So we will wait for you to help us. I believe what was happening at Babel is they were sick of waiting on God. They did not want to serve God. They did not want to do what God wanted to do. They would help themselves. And that's what they were doing at the Tower of Babel. Here's the scattering of the people and what it was. It was God's reminder that Satan is still in charge of the earth. But also, and this is kind of where I wanted to go next week, that God, it was God's reminder to Satan that he's still in charge of language. He's still in charge of the language. This is very, 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 very powerful. Probably one of my thinking is, and this is kind of what I'm wrestling with about next week, I think it's so powerful that God is in charge of language that on the day of Pentecost, this is what he's going to pick as a sign of his power. Here's the strange thing. If we would study the baptism of the Spirit, we will find that speaking in tongues, every time it's mentioned in the Bible, is mentioned in relationship to the resurrection of Christ. Every time. So language is in the future going to be connected to resurrection. It's that powerful to God that he will come to the New Testament and choose language. It'll be the language of the Spirit, but he will choose it. And the entire world will once again speak the same language. I'll give you that scripture in Isaiah. He says that God, verse 11, Isaiah 28, God will have to speak to his people, but because they're so obstinate and rebellious, he'll do it through people of a strange language. So even though God will scatter the languages, he will use those languages for his prophetic purpose. So what we understand now is language is, it has a prophetic purpose to it. That's why when we come to the New Testament, it says, can any speaking by the Spirit of God, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Final verse, this is what I alluded to, Acts 2, and they heard them speaking their own language. How can this even be? God united the languages back together at the day of Pentecost. The entirety of it was, and the final one, and we'll get ready to conclude, the final one is that not only is he in charge of language, but was God's reminder to Satan that he's still in charge of the city. Uh, gosh, this would be a whole rep tying the book of Revelation in with the book of Genesis. The Tower of Babel, the city of Babylon, showing up again in the book of Revelation, 
I believe the whole time in the mind of Satan, Satan has learned that if you want to be God, you've got to control the city. You've got to be in charge of your own city. What we find out later is the city is Jerusalem. And God, Lucifer will use Babylon to try to overcome God's people with his city. By the time we get to the uh, revelation, uh, Babylon, the mother of all harlots, will be doing his best to override the new Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem, the city that comes out. My belief is it's always been about a city. Babylon just showed up. This is what the Lord says in Zechariah to all the nations around the world and the cities. They'll travel to Jerusalem and they'll say, come to Jerusalem to worship in uh, purple. Verse 22, they'll go because they'll say that's where his blessing is. It's, it's amazing to me that if we really parse this out, that this thinking of when God says, you remember when we read it, it says, and he saw the city and he saw the tower. And he says, come, let's go look at the city and let's look at the tower. Because I believe this city idea that was now Babylon, Babel, there's this city that's brewing out here in the eternal realm. It is the city of God. It will play itself out in Jerusalem when God you know, ordains where his city will be and his nation will be. And this is it, Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming from God and to his people. And he will live with them. So there is the thinking that every God has a city. Every God has a temple. It's as we get into the Old Testament, you will see that every city will have some perverted idea of a temple where people go and worship because this idea of a city with a temple that has gods shows you the power of the God. It's fought all the way through the Bible because that was not a foreign concept. That's how God established it. He was God. He would have a city. It would be the city of the righteous, the new Jerusalem. Lucifer's up in the heavenly realm. Lucifer sees the temple in the heavenly realm that was the shadow in the earthly realm brought to us. So he understands if I want to be God, I not only need a throne, I need a people, I need a nation, I need a city. And so he's always been working for it. Even right now, he, to, in, in Douglasville, Georgia, Lucifer is working to own the city. He cannot let God's people run the city. This is why the Bible says, when the righteous rules, what rejoices? The city rejoices. So here's the conclusion. We'll roll it out with two thoughts. There's a lot to fill in, but it'll be good for you. I'll chat while you fill. The city of Babel and its tower in Genesis 11 was Satan's plan to rule the earth and the heavens by uniting humans under the banner of one language, one city, and one goal. That goal was to ascend to the heavens, conquer the throne, and proclaim himself God over all with his earthly home being Babel. I think this whole thing of Babylon, this whole working of this city that we just kind of breeze over one chapter of a story, I believe Lucifer was deep in it. He wanted the people. He wanted the city. He wanted the power. He wanted the fame. He wanted the glory. He wanted the name. He was going to do everything he could do to conquer it and take over God. And if he had to do it through a city called Babylon and a people that were rebellious, he would do it. And you watch it play out in the Old Testament as Babylon. And he's always, if you read it prophetically, there's always a nation and a city that's coming against God's people. 
And the crazy thing is when you get in deep into the Old Testament, you even see that he takes God's people and he splinters them off. And you have them go north to Samaria and south to Jerusalem and they begin to fight over the whole thing. They become what we will know in church or Old Testament history as the divided kingdom. Satan can't have unity. The next thought before the conclusion, and this is, if I don't teach it next week, this is a great place to start with your thinking. Everything Satan attempted to build at Babel was undone by God at Babel. And God ended a common language and a common agenda that was being built together to rule the world via worship and power. Everything Satan attempted to do to build at Babel was undone by God. And God ended a common language. God ended a common agenda. Let's build this thing for ourselves. That was being built together. They were in, in a unity because they wanted to rule the world. And they, the reason I think the tower's there is they wanted to rule through worship and power. They wanted the power of the gods on their side. All right? Now the conclusion is this, and this is hopefully we'll tie it all together. This is where it gets really fun and interesting. But everything God undid at Babel was rebuilt in an upper room. God started a common language in the upper room, a common agenda, go into the world and witness. And they were being built together as a church. That's why Paul will say things, you are being built together. You are a holy dwelling. You are God's people. You are a nation. You are a family. You are his temple. But you're put together to rule the world. You're going to rule and reign with him. This isn't just about having a church on a corner and bringing your offerings. Everything you do right now, God is taking note of for how you will rule with him in the future. And if you're faithful with little, you rule over a lot. This is not about whether or not you attend church or not. This is not about whether or not you got a tattoo or not or whether you watch the new Tom Cruise movie. This whole thing on earth is weird. I mind you, it is weird. Everything about earth right now is nothing more than a proving ground of who will rule with him in the future. You're on a proving ground. You're in a class right now. How will you handle fame? How will you handle self? How will you handle glory? How will you handle power? Because he says, I, here's, here's the deal. I will not let anybody inherit my kingdom who cannot control their sexuality, who cannot control their drunkenness, who cannot control their murdering, who cannot control their hate, and here's weird, who cannot control their gossip. God won't even share his kingdom with us if we can't prove to him that we can't quit gossiping on earth. You won't get into heaven and, and rule. In the, you, I mean, you'll get there, but you won't rule. You won't be able to rule with him. He says, Paul says, I will not share, you will not inherit the kingdom. And I know we like to say gossips and homosexuals and all that, but you throw the word gossip in there and it's really weird, like gossiping? I, I won't inherit a kingdom? Everything we do here is a testing ground. My belief is on the day of Pentecost, this is just my thinking, object lesson, God steps off the throne, looks over at Satan who thought he won, 
looks down at 120 people, looks over at Satan and gives a wink. And in one breath, every person in the room for the first time in history starts speaking a common language of God just like Babel. And I think it freaked Lucifer out. Like, because he was there. He was there at Babel, and he's there at the day of Pentecost. And I think when they started going, and they all started speaking this language, and Lucifer's watching it, and these people are going, wait a minute, they're talking, wait a minute, they're speaking, wait a minute, we all hear them and understand in our own languages. I think Lucifer's like, oh God, what's just, he wouldn't say, oh God, oh, what's just happened? What's going on? What's happening? Oh, what's going on here? I, I don't think he'd ever seen it. I don't think he had ever even prepared what God was going to do. And in one moment, God put his spirit, watch, God put his being back into humans. And God took ownership of humans. And God possessed humans. And in 120 people, God backed off and said, I just put my spirit into humans. I just gave them my language. I just endued them with my power. And now I'm about to rule the world through them. And what does Lucifer do? No, you're not. I'm going to get them all to stay right here in Jerusalem. and Because I think he's working. I'm going to get them all to be religious. All just to stay here religious. And all of a sudden you have to come to this place. I think it's like Acts 7 and 8. All of a sudden you realize God, because he controls people, God sends persecution because God's like, really again? You're just going to build me another monument and a memorial? The whole point of this is go. Go into all the earth. Go preach the gospel. Go take my glory and my healing and my power to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's just trying to do it all again. Here you sit 2,000 years later. You can either become a tower of Babel or you can go and become a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And if you want to know which one you are, and I'm not judging you, I'm in the same ship you are in the same millennia you're living in. But if you want to know whether you're more a Tower of Babel person or whether you're more of a New Testament person, simply ask yourself, how many people are coming into the knowledge of God because of me? And if the list is low, people you work with who don't know, people who wait on you don't know, people who've known you for years don't know, then I would say, then is the American church really making the world aware of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Or have we become selfish, narcissistic, introverted, bless us God as we build this new church, as we build these buildings, as we come together on a corner to do what we do. But this is what I've been so passionate about for years. That's wonderful. I love it. I love doing church. I love being here with y'all. I love growing old with you. But at the end of the day, it's about our 50 feet. At the end of the day, it's just about sharing Jesus in the 50 feet we have. And I think that is the power of, this is my, the way I would sum it up tonight. I think Babel happened, God undid it, and then everything God undid the day of Pentecost, he redid it because God is that serious about his kids ruling on the earth. Let me pray for you. Amen.